Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. For the last few weeks, we focused on who our God is and what sets Him apart from any other gods. Since we now have a better understanding of our triune God, and since we've made a commitment to follow Him as Lord through Jesus Christ, we've learned about the Holy Spirit who indwells us, and we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now it's time to learn how we should walk with God. How do we do that? We do that by walking by the fruit of the Spirit, as outlined in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Today, we're going to delve into that passage and really understand what we should look like as followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Beware of false prophets, Jesus said. He gave believers that warning because false prophets are so devious. They're like ravenous wolves disguised as innocent sheep. Well, if they look like sheep, but they're actually dangerous wolves, how can we know the true from the false? Jesus gave an example of two kinds of trees. We should look for a good tree to produce good fruit and a bad tree to produce bad fruit. Once a believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he or she should begin to produce good fruit. So what fruit should we expect to see, and what are we to conclude if we don't see it in ourselves or others? Today we'll see how to discern the true from the false by examining the genuine fruit of the Spirit. Well, fruit is the result of something. If you have bad fruit, it's because you're a bad person and you do bad things. Good fruit should hopefully come as a result of following Jesus Christ. When we think about fruit in a natural sense, it's the result of a healthy tree working to produce what's designed to be edible for us. When we think of spiritual fruit, healthy Christians are designed to produce fruit from within, not the actions that we try and look good on the outside, but it comes from within, from a heart devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, this isn't something we do. This is something the Holy Spirit does through us to change us, to be more like Christ, and that can be seen by those on the outside. You see, our outward actions are manifested by the fruit of the Spirit. So our heart's desire should be to be more like Christ so that our actions can be seen by other people. Now, Paul explained the fruit of the Spirit in his letter to the new believers in Galatia. In Galatians 5, Paul says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Now that's present tense, so we are to continuously walk by the Holy Spirit as we are followers in Jesus Christ. And this is the Spirit of God that we talked about last week who indwells us. He says, And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Well, that makes sense. If we're walking with the Spirit of God, we're not going to want to sin. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So we as children of God walking by the spirit are going to walk in the light, going to walk in the godly things. We're not going to want to do the bad things. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. And then he goes on to give a whole bunch of examples of the deeds of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Maybe I should slow down so you all can listen to these and see if you're performing any of these. He said enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, 
dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, Paul said, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Catch that? If we are living a life that continually follows those sins, that means we don't have the Spirit of God living in us because we couldn't live that way with God living inside of us. That people that do that will not inherit God's kingdom. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are to crucify the flesh, crucify those desires, and instead follow this fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is an outgrowth of the presence of God indwelling us, something that is developed day by day and that grows as we grow with the Lord. So your act of love is going to be different today than it was when you came to know Christ. We are going to continue to grow in the fruit that God gives us through his Holy Spirit. That's a progression that you're talking about. And that progression is the job of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. That's one of the biblical terms, a theological term. But it's just a fancy way of saying that there's a progression in this growth in these fruits that we are going to be talking about so that it may not just bud overnight and turn into fruit. But we want to see a progression, a sanctification going on. Just like an apple doesn't bud overnight, it has to ripen so that it becomes juicy and delicious. That's the way our fruit is also. You'll notice that this is called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, not plural. And that means that it's produced by the Spirit, most important thing we need to understand, not by us, but by being singular. It means that all of these nine fruit are unified whole. They're not independent characteristics. We can't just say, well, I'll do this and not do this. They're all aspects of showing that we are followers of Christ. As you mature in Christ, every single one of these attributes should be seen in all of us all the time. As we're going through these list of attributes and fruit, ask yourself if your heart is producing this kind of fruit and if it's being manifested by your outward actions. The nine aspects of the fruit that you're talking about are listed in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So let's begin with love. Love is the most important because love is from God. We're told in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God made mankind because he loves us. God died on the cross to save us from our sins because he loves us. So as followers of Christ, a follower is a disciple, an imitator of Christ, then we need to have love. What's happening in our world today is we're not seeing love. The true love of Christ is unconditional. Where we love others regardless of what they do to us or how they act towards us. That's God's love towards us and us towards others. It would be wonderful if we 
followers of Jesus Christ would display his love in this world like he gave us. That's how Christianity spread in the first place. Whatever good works that we do are really nothing compared to whether we have love or not. That's the most important underlying thing. If you want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a whole list of how love is truly exemplified. And how can we love? We love because he first loved us. God is love and God first loved us, according to 1 John chapter 4. That's how we can love. And if we don't have that kind of love, if we look at a homeless person on the street and we look down on them, instead of having genuine God-loving kindness towards them, then we have to ask God to show us and give us that heart of love that he has so we can see people through his eyes. So it's not surprising that he starts out the first fruit of the Spirit with love. And then the next fruit of the Spirit is joy. Again, another fruit that we so seldom see in our society. Because you see, people want to be happy. Well, joy comes from an attitude of the heart with God. It doesn't come from our circumstances. It can, certainly. But happiness comes from our circumstances. If things are good, we're happy. If they're not good, we're sad. Joy is an attitude of the heart that comes from our relationship with God. He tells us in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Did you see where the joy comes from? It comes from the Lord, not from anything we do or not from our circumstances. And even Romans five thirteen reminds us, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where does the joy come from and the peace? It comes from believing in Jesus Christ. Then we will have joy no matter what the circumstances. And again, these are progressive. We grow in these fruit. They don't necessarily happen overnight. The first major problem I had as a Christian, I wasn't joyful about. But I have learned to be joyful because I know who's in control. I know whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. And we don't have to just get that joy from within all by ourselves, but what we can do is we can ask the Lord for that. If you feel like, okay, I don't have that joy in my life, Lord, pray and let the Holy Spirit start to build that in you. The word for joy in the Greek is charis, which means gladness and delight. And that's what the Lord wants you to have in him is gladness and delight. If we start with number one of love, loving God first and others second, we will have a joy because it comes from the Lord and our relationship with him, not from the world's circumstances. And then number three, which again is a progression of this, is peace. Now, I got to tell you, I cannot have peace unless I have God's love. And I can't have peace unless I have God's joy. Unless I truly know who God is and I know that he's the giver of peace, Jehovah Shalom, I can't have peace. Peace isn't just the absence of strife. Peace is an inner quietness, a rest, a calmness, a serenity that only God can give us. He tells us in Isaiah 26, 3, The steadfast of mine, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So we have a responsibility. If we will be steadfast in everything we do for the Lord, if we will trust the Lord, he will give us perfect peace. 
again, one of the first trials I ever experienced, I was anything but peaceful. I was a nervous wreck because my son was going into surgery and I was scared to death. I had no peace whatsoever. But as I cried out to God, as I sought my Savior at this time of need, He gave me peace. He gave me such peace that I was willing to allow Him to take our son if that's what He chose to do during the surgery. It was that drastic. Believe me, this is a child I had prayed for for a long time. For me to be able to give his life up to God only comes from God's peace. And we're told in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that can only come from a relationship with God. It's beyond understanding because it only comes from God. And the world doesn't understand that. The world can give a certain amount of peace, but the Bible says God gives the peace that the world cannot give because the world doesn't have peace. Jesus, when he left in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Without him, one cannot know true peace. Think of your life before Christ. Did you ever have perfect peace? Probably not. You may have had comfort over something, but not perfect peace that it really didn't matter what the outcome was because you so trusted God in that situation. If we will learn to rejoice in the Lord, to pray about our concerns, to meditate on God and his word, to stand on his promises, to trust in God, we will have peace because we know that these circumstances are temporary and God has a plan though we might not understand what it is. And another aspect other than peace is patience. That's another aspect that the world doesn't seem to understand. Well, I can understand that because I always say, I want patience and I want it now. That's how I feel, but that's not patience. You see, we're used to fast food version of patience and everything else in this life. Give it to me quickly. I mean, we get Amazon presents because we can get them overnight. We want it now. And yet patience means consistency under God, self-restraint of mind before our actions. If God wants to build patience in us, it's going to take time. He has to give us opportunities to grow that fruit of the Spirit because it's really a long-suffering. It's really manifested through endurance in our lives. It doesn't just come overnight or because we want it to. God is patient, and he needs to teach us patience, and it takes patience to learn patience. Well, in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So that's God's patience. And if he's that patient with us, aren't we glad he is? I mean, I say all the time, oh, Lord, come quickly. This world has turned so far against you. I want you to come here so you can be glorified. But this tells us he's patient. He's waiting. And we should, too. We should want more people to come to know Jesus Christ before the terrible things of the tribulation happen that we know from prophecy will occur. God is patient. And he's being patient with us, too. We need that quality of God to learn it to be patient with other people. Again, these are not qualities that I can just say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to get up and be patient. 
These are qualities that are fruit of the Spirit, that come by the Holy Spirit, teaching us and training us, giving us opportunities to grow, opportunities to be at peace and to be patient, opportunity to love other people. It's a process, and it only comes through the opportunities to grow those fruit in our lives. And sometimes you can be surprised by the patience that God gives you and think, wow, where did that come from? That's not me. I'm not normally that patient, but it's really interesting to see the fruit of the Spirit grow in you and to realize that this is coming from somewhere else. It's beyond your natural personality. And that is God working inside of us. Now, the next two, kindness and goodness, are really very similar. Kindness is Christotes in the Greek. It's a grace which permeates the whole of our nature, mellowing all of that which would have been harsh or austere. So really from within this kindness comes this nature, this this mellowing in our lives so that we are kind and gentle towards other people, wanting to help others. It comes from within and is shown from without. Now, if you consider what Jesus said in Matthew eleven thirty, where he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you, he's using a form of that Christotes from the Greek. When we know Jesus was gentle and humble of heart, we know he was kind and took care of people and loved people and ministered to people. That's exactly what we should do. Romans 2, 4 reminds us, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? If God's kindness is poured out towards us to bring us to repentance, shouldn't that be our same heart to be repentant and to have the kindness of God in our lives so it pours out to others? It doesn't have to be, well, I guess I have to do this today because that's what a good Christian would do. It's a kindness that is automatically generated towards ministering to other people. So when we look at kindness as an attribute, it seems like you said it permeates. So it's like an attitude that permeates what you do. I kind of wondered what the difference was between kindness and goodness because they seem so similar. But is kindness something that manifests itself in the action of goodness? Yes, because kindness is more within and goodness is more an action. It's a character of being energized, expressing itself in an active good, of doing something positive. It also represents action as a zeal for goodness and truth, which can be manifested in rebuking or correcting as Jesus did in the temple. So the goodness that we have cares about doing good for other people. Now, sometimes that might look bad, but we really want the best for the other people. And then gentleness, which also falls into this because gentleness is very similar to kindness. They're different Greek words, so they mean something different. Gentleness is more of humility. It's a grace of the soul. It's strength under control is what it's called. We have the strength to do a lot of things and the freedom in Christ to do a lot of things, but we're under control, under the control of the Spirit to want to do and to do do the right things before the Lord. In 2 Timothy 2.25, 
we're reminded that with gentleness, we're to correct those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Did you catch that? In gentleness, not Bible thumping. First time I tried to share Christ, I Bible thumped because that's all I knew what to do. And I didn't even know how to do that very well. God wants us to do it gently. Strength under God's control is what gentleness is. Not by our power or our might, but by God's. So it's interesting that goodness has to do with correcting and gentleness has to do with correcting. They go together. It's good to correct, but only if you're correcting in gentleness and in truth. Well, consider that 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. So three out of the four things that scripture is good for is for correcting, for changing, for showing the truth and making sure people know the truth, not just what they want to believe. So it makes sense that the fruit of the spirit would have similar qualities. Well, then the one that I skipped over is faithfulness. Faithfulness is an important one because it's by faith that we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The term for faithfulness in the Greek is pretty much the same word as the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. This means being persuaded. It means fidelity, a true commitment to what it is that we believe. To be faithful means to be reliable or trustworthy. This faithfulness specifically to Jesus who redeemed us and is manifested in consistent submission and obedience is something that we should pour out in everything that we do every day. So that when people see us, because the fruit of the Spirit is outward, but it's not just to show other people what great Christians we are. It's a fruit. It's a product of it's that bright, juicy red apple that has gone through the ripening process and is now perfect to eat. That's how our fruit should be, where people see our faithfulness and they say, I want to have what she has. I want to know the Lord that she has because they have seen that faithfulness, not so that they'll say, wow, she's really a great Christian. That's not the purpose. Because these are all attributes of the Lord. When we think of faithfulness, who is more faithful than Jesus Christ? It's the Holy Spirit's desire to sanctify us, to make that fruit ripen so that we're more and more like Jesus. So that when people see us, like you said, they might want to know more about Jesus, not more about us. In looking at Romans 3, 3, when we think about faithfulness, this verse says, what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? And what's important to note there is no matter how well we achieve faithfulness, God's faithfulness does not hinge on whether we're faithful or not. We can pray about growing into the kind of faithfulness that God shows, but our failures do not negate God's perfect faithfulness. Aren't we glad about that? I can't help but think of Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one, where the time will come. It says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I think we've heard that a lot. And each one of us want Jesus to say that to us when we get to heaven. Did you catch that he'll only say it to the faithful servant, the one who has followed Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because that's what a servant is to a master. And we are a servant to Jesus Christ, our master. He wants us to experience that faithfulness. In Titus 2.10, 
We're also told we're to show all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every aspect. You see, that's why we're faithful, is so that other people will see it and turn to God, our Savior. That's why we have all the fruit of the Spirit, is so that everyone will turn to God. We're changed by the Spirit. We're empowered by the Spirit. We live out the fruit of the Spirit in our actions by the power of the Spirit. It's not about us. If any of these qualities become about us, then we've just lost the benefit of them because they're all from God and they're all for his glory. As we talk about some of these qualities, I'm reminded of Paul's writing to the Ephesians. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he also reiterates some of these qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance or forbearance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That tells you right there that the fruit of the Spirit that are mentioned here, but also the, the goal of the fruit of the Spirit is to preserve the unity of the Spirit, to preserve that bond of peace with one another, but also with those in the world. You will hear stories of people who display the love of Christ through the fruit of the Spirit to unbelievers, and that is what will draw the unbelievers to wanting a relationship with Jesus. My husband will tell you that he came to know Jesus as he saw changes in my life. It wasn't just what I said. It wasn't pretentious things. It wasn't a goal to try and win him to Christ. It was a change in my life, which only came through God and through our Lord Jesus Christ by his salvation and the Holy Spirit changing me by developing in me the fruit of the Spirit. Then we move on to the last one, which is self-control. That's the indwelling Holy Spirit giving us the strength to control our sinful desires and say no to the flesh. Self-control gives us the power to choose God's way instead of the world and God's heart instead of a selfish heart. Now, we're pretty self-centered people and we want to be in control of our lives. So this is a tough one. That's the biggest problem in our culture, I think, is putting us as the gods of our lives at the center of our lives instead of putting God there. But we need to turn over our lives to God. That's what it means to make him Lord of our lives is giving him control so it becomes God control, not self-control. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul reminded us that everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So we have self-control through God and the Holy Spirit, but we control ourselves so that we can follow the Lord and walk in his spirit. And that's what we're told to do throughout scripture. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. So I leave you today praying this prayer for you in Colossians 1, 10 through 12. And that is that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
if you will walk with the Lord, as those verses just said, as we just prayed for you, God will build the fruit of the Spirit in your life so that you will be a walking example of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to be. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.